Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. I read a story, it's really a, a tale uh, that comes from, from ancient India. And there were four royal brothers who each decided that they were going to master a special ability. And time went by, and the brothers met to reveal uh, what they had learned. And so one of the brothers said this, I've mastered a science by which I can take a bone of some creature and I can create the flesh that goes with it. Well, the second brother said, I know how to grow the creature's skin and hair if there is flesh on its bones. The third brother said, well, I'm able to create limbs if I have flesh, the skin, and the hair. And the fourth brother said, well, I know how to give life to that creature if its form is complete. And so the four brothers set off uh, into the jungle to find a bone so that they could demonstrate their special abilities. And so they went about the jungle, and in the jungle they actually found a bone. Uh, Little known to them, it was the bone of a lion. And so one added flesh to the bone, uh, the second grew hide and hair, and the third completed it with matching limbs. And the fourth brother performed his special ability, and he actually brought the lion to life. He gave life to the creature. And, And as this silly tale goes, that this lion, this ferocious beast, came to life, arose, leaped on these boys, and killed them, destroyed them. And the reason that they tell that story, and the idea behind this story, is that we are able to create things that destroy us. That we, human beings, we have the ability to create something that can devour us. In fact, I believe that's what's happening in our lives and in the world. That we have created something that's devouring us. And that something is an idol. We all have idols, and idols are something that human beings have have created that will destroy us. There's a pastor in California, his name is Paul Chapel, and he said this, that from the earliest record of human history, man, talking about humans, have been making idols and images to worship. I think it's interesting that the first two of the Ten Commandments deal with, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. We, of course, know that you don't have to bow down before a statue or before an image to commit idolatry, that many people have idols such as success, money, power, sex. All of these things can pose a threat to us and can be idols to us. But perhaps the greatest idol of all is when we idolize ourselves, that self Self can be an idol. 
And although the idols that we may encounter in, in 2018 might be very different uh, from what the church that we read about here in the book of 1 Corinthians faced, uh, some of those things are, are, are different. Some of them, quite frankly, are the same. But some idols are different. But the reality of idolatry and the threat of idolatry is just as real now as it's ever been. And the warning that Paul gave to the church in Corinth to flee idolatry is a warning that's needed for us. So I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're able to stand, I want you to stand with me. We're going to read somewhat of a, a lengthy passage. We're going to read from verse 14 of chapter 10. We're going to read all the way to chapter 11, verse 1. So I'll read aloud here and you can just follow along in your mind. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrificed idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but, I, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it. And for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of? For that which I give thanks. Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men. In all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Chapter 11, verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthians to avoid idolatry themselves 
and to avoid causing others to stumble into idolatry. And I want to preach to you about that today. That we should avoid idolatry ourselves and we should avoid causing others to stumble into idolatry. How do we do that? I want to give you three actions that we can take. Three actions that Paul gives us in this passage that if we take these, it will go a long way in helping us to avoid idolatry ourselves and to avoid causing others to stumble into idolatry. Will you pray with me? Father, we know that our hearts are prone to idolatry. That through the curse and through sin, we are fallen and broken. And we thank you for your grace that you loved us even when we loved idols. And Lord, now that you've called us into your kingdom and you've called us unto salvation, God, I pray that you would work through us now that we would constantly be destroying any idol that comes our way. That we would avoid being idolaters and that we would avoid causing others to stumble. Speak to us through your word. And make us more like Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How can, we avoid, how can we avoid idolatry in ourselves and avoid causing others to stumble? Three actions. The first one is this. By not participating in anything that would compromise our worship of God alone. If we're going to avoid idolatry ourselves, then we have to avoid participating in anything that would compromise our worship of God alone. That's what Paul is appealing to them about in these verses. He tells them to flee from idolatry, and he goes on to describe what that looks like. What does it look like to flee idolatry? Well, it looks like not participating in anything that would compromise their worship of God alone. You know, in chapter 10, verse 14 through 21, Paul talked about three different worship feasts, three sacred meals, if you will, that involved worship. The first one that he refers to is what we know as communion. He talked about the fact that as believers, we gather together and we take of the bread and the bread represents the, the broken body of Jesus on the cross. And we take the cup of grape juice, which represents the shed blood of Jesus. And as we take of that meal, we call it the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. And as we gather together and partake of that, we are worshiping Jesus. We are giving thanks and honor and remembering Him who died for us. He talked about the cup of blessing and the communion of the body of Christ. That was the first sacred meal he talked about. The second sacred meal that he talked about was the Jewish sacrificial meals. You know, in the Old Testament, worshipers would come to the temple and they would offer meal offerings to the Lord. And, and often after they offered those on the altar and were sacrificed, they often would eat those meals as a way of, of worshiping. 
And that's what God told them to do. They offered it onto the altar as a sacrifice to the Lord. And some would go uh, to the priests to eat. And some would go to those who brought the offering and they would eat it. Sometimes it was even a family feast that they would eat. And the idea was that once they had given it to God and sacrificed it to God, that God in return would invite them to partake of the meal, the offering that they had given to Him. And He invites them to enjoy that meal. And it's the idea that now they were in fellowship with God, that they were taking of a meal that now belonged to God, but God said, no, I want you to enjoy it with me. And that's what Paul was talking about in verse 18 when he talked about Israel, that those which eat of the sacrifices are partakers of the altar. So they brought the offering to the altar and then they ate of the offering. It was in worship to the Lord. And then the third, though, sacred meal that Paul refers to is the idol feasts. Idol feasts. You know, in Paul's day, they had idol temples. And in those idol temples, they would often have sacred meals They would have worship feasts where they would eat in the name of some idol that they would eat to some idol as they would take it, as they would offer these um, sacrifices, they would do so in the name of this idol. And it appears that some believers in the Corinthian church were actually attending these feasts, that they were actually somehow involved in these feasts. And Paul was instructing them here. He says that although we know that there are no such thing as a true idol, that idols are, are nothing, they're nothing but wood and, and stone, that they have eyes but they cannot see, they have ears but they cannot hear, they have mouths but they cannot speak. We know they're nothing, he says. But he goes on to say in verse 20 that behind every idol are demons. And what they're really sacrificing to or who they're really sacrificing to are are demons. Because it's not to God, so it's to demons, it's to devils. And Paul says, you don't want to have anything to do with that. You don't want to have any fellowship with that. You don't want to have any association with something that's done in worship to an idol. And Paul goes on to say, how could we even dare... How could we even dare to sit at the Lord's table and take communion and sit at the table of devils and eat something that has been sacrificed to them, that is eaten in honor of them? This would not only compromise their worship of God alone, but it would provoke the Lord to jealousy. It would provoke the Lord to judge them. He says, are we provoking the Lord? Are we stronger than Him? Do we really want to invite His judgment? So Paul warned them not to participate in anything that would compromise their worship of God alone. You know, Paul used the same word flee and. 1 Corinthians 6.18, in regards to sexual sin, he told them to flee from fornication. And so I want you to imagine a spouse that's going on dates with someone they're not married to. Can you imagine how that would compromise their relationship with their spouse? 
Can you imagine how that would not sit well with the spouse to find out that they've been secretly going out, that they've been meeting up with someone who's not their spouse, that they're somehow romantically attached to or romantically, emotionally involved with someone who's not their spouse? And just as one cannot be fully committed to their spouse while cheating on them with someone else, so one cannot worship God and participate in the worship of idols. And even though some of the Corinthians may have thought it's a harmless meal, it's a community event, it's it's no big deal. Paul says it is a big deal. Because you worship God alone and you should not be engaged in anything that would compromise the worship of God alone. It would provoke the Lord to jealousy just as it would provoke you if you discovered that your spouse was going on dates with someone other than you. You know, friends, we need to think hard and deep as to how this applies to us because it would be a grave mistake to dismiss this teaching as something we don't need We might be tempted to think, well, there's no temples that I'm going to. I'm not tempted on Monday afternoon to go to some temple and and enjoy a meal that's sacrificed to some cult or some idol. But let me ask us, what are we participating in that might compromise our worship of God alone? Professor Luke Timothy Johnson said that idolatry is treating what is not ultimate as though it were ultimate. Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. And Dick Keyes says that an idol is something within creation that is inflated to function as a substitute for God. Is there something that your heart is clinging to more than God? Is there something within creation that you've inflated to such a point that it's like a substitute for God? That you don't think you can live without it? Or is there something that you're treating as ultimate? Your job, your health, your home, your family. Something ultimate when only God should have ultimate preeminence in our lives. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal anything in your life that might be compromising the worship of God alone and flee from that beginning today. How do we avoid idolatry ourselves by not participating in anything that would compromise our worship of God alone? Number two, by not participating in anything that would cause another person to stumble. We don't want to participate in anything that would cause another person to stumble. In verse 23, he says, all things are lawful for me, which evidently was a a saying, a popular saying, either just in the Corinthian church or in the Corinthian culture. And he's saying, just because something is not Necessarily against God's law, it doesn't mean that it's best. And that's what the word expedient means, is profitable or or good. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. And so what he was wanting them to think about here is is to turn their attention to see how their choices and their actions might affect other people. 
And that's what he means in verse 24. Let no man seek his own, but every man another man's wealth. And the word wealth here in, in, in King James, uh, when the, the Bible was translated into English, the word wealth didn't just mean money. It just talked about your, 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 your good, your profit, what's beneficial for you. And so he's helping them to see that they weren't to be selfish, seeking their own way, but to be seeking what was good for others. He repeated that in verse 33. He said, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many. Paul wasn't a man pleaser. But what he's saying is, I'm not selfish. I'm not looking out for what's just good for me. I'm looking out for what's good for others. And so Paul gives them some scenarios. He says, if you're invited to a feast, he says, if you're invited to a feast and someone were to mention that the meat they were about to eat is or was offered to idols, Paul instructs them, don't eat it. If you're, if you're invited to a family feast or a community feast and someone invites you to come and before you start eating, someone mentions that this meat either is or was offered to idols, Paul says, don't eat it. Why? He tells them for conscience sake. Not their own conscience primarily, but the conscience of the other person so that the other person is not led to further believe that idols are something to actually worship. Again, Paul is doing something that we've already seen through our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, that he's calling upon them to limit their liberty for the good of others. For the good of others. But he went on to tell them that they didn't need to live in some kind of bondage or constant fear. And he goes on to tell them, verse 25, that, that they didn't need to ask questions at the market. He said, if you're in the, the shambles, which is uh, a, a, another word for the, the, the market where they would purchase food. He said, if you're in the market, you don't have to ask a hundred questions to find out if any of this food was ever offered to idols. He says, you can just buy it. You, you don't have to ask those questions. He says, and if you're at a meal and, and people put food before you. You don't have to ask them, was this offered to idols? He said they could simply eat the food without question. Question: Why could they do that? They could do that because of what he says in verse 26. He says, you don't have to ask those questions yourselves. You could eat it because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If, if no one has said anything about it, they just give you the food and are gracious to you. You eat it and you eat it unto the Lord because all things come from him. However, he said, if someone else brought up the issue, they were not to eat it due to the concern for the other person's conscience. If someone else raised the question, if someone else made it an issue to say this was offered to idols, that's when Paul says they were not to eat it. And the issue for Paul here is that he did not want them to give offense. That's what he said in verse 32. And the word offense doesn't mean to offend someone like their feelings are hurt. And the word offense literally means to stumble. He says, don't cause someone to stumble, whether Jew or Gentile or someone who's a part of the church of God. Don't cause them to stumble. 
You know, imagine you have a friend who recently discovered that, that he or she is a diabetic. And what really complicates things is that this friend of yours, I mean, she really loves ice cream and sweet desserts. Clearly, it would not be the kind and loving thing for you to bring a gallon of, of regular ice cream over that is full of sugar. Nor would it be in her best interest for you to constantly urge her to go with you for, to some of your favorite dessert places that would have very few, if any, sugar-free options. You see, by bringing over a gallon of ice cream or constantly asking her to go with you to some place of desserts, what you're doing is causing her to stumble in her health. Now, you may be perfectly able to enjoy ice cream. Sweet desserts may not affect your sugar. You may not have any issues with it. And in your home and with other friends, you'd be fine to enjoy ice cream or dessert. However, the loving, thing to do, the loving thing to do around your diabetic friend would be to limit your liberty to eat sugary desserts for her protection. And if we would do that for someone's physical well-being, how much more careful should we be over someone's soul and spiritual destiny? That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying we want to be very careful that we don't want to cause someone to stumble into idolatry. And that's why he says, if someone brings up the matter of this food being offered to idols, we need to turn it down. Because we don't want them thinking for a second that we worship idols or that there's something to worshiping idols. How does this apply to us today? Well, can I just say that selfishness is a sin that we all constantly battle and that we must all be constantly putting to death. A question we can ask ourselves is this. In what ways am I seeking my own way that might be causing others to stumble away from God? Maybe we should ask ourselves this question. Am I concerned about the conscience of others? Now, again, I don't want you to live in fear or in bondage or walk around on eggshells as if every decision that you make is somehow leading to someone's falling away from Christ. But this is where we need discernment. And we need to, to be discerning as to what might be an issue for someone, what might cause someone to stumble away from the Lord, and what might be a source of idolatry for them. And how we wouldn't want to perpetuate that. So how do we avoid idolatry ourselves? And how do we avoid causing others to stumble? Number one, by not participating in anything that would compromise our worship of God alone. And by not participating in anything that would cause someone else to stumble. Number three, finally, by doing all, by doing all that we do to the glory of God and for the salvation of others. That's how we avoid idolatry, by doing all that we do to the glory of God and for the salvation of others. Verse 31 is a climax for Paul. He brings it all to that summit point, that climax, when he says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Believers are to filter 
Every action through this question, will this glorify God? One certainly cannot eat at an idol feast to the glory of God. And one certainly cannot cause a believer or unbeliever to stumble away from God for his glory. So Paul's counsel is simply this. If you can legitimately do something to the glory of God, then do it. But if you cannot, then don't do it. And another filter for every action that's closely related to the question. In fact, it's tied to it. But another filter, another way of looking at this would be, will this action hinder someone who is lost from being saved? Will this action hinder some new Christian in their spiritual progress? Will it help the lost come to Christ? Will it help the saved grow in Christ? That's what Paul meant in verse 33. He says, I'm not not trying to seek my own. I'm trying to do those things which lead to the profit and the good of others. Johann Sebastian Bach was probably one of the most gifted music composers of all time. He wrote hundreds of choral pieces and cantatas for churches across Germany. And and when he would complete a, a project, a piece of music for church, at the bottom of of the music, he would write the initials S-D-G. And it stood for Sola de Gloria, which means to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. You know, Ephesians 1, Paul wrote three times that The purpose of God's work in us, the reason that God made us, the reason that God created the universe, the reason that God is working in us right now is that our lives are to be lived, and Paul used this phrase a bunch in Ephesians 1, to the praise of the glory of His grace. A theologian that I've learned so much from, his name is Robert Piccarelli. I quote him often. And he said that man's highest end is to glorify God. Then all decisions about action as well as motive should be for the honor of God. So what does this mean for us? We need to ask God to give us a passion for His glory. We need to ask God to give us such a desire For His glory. Is the aim of your life to glorify God in whatever you do? Is that the passion that you are pursuing with everything in you? Number two, if we're going to glorify God in all that we do. And number two, we need to learn the actions that bring Him glory. And then once we learn the actions that bring Him glory, we need to devote our lives to living out those actions. We must know what brings God glory. And the only way to know what brings God glory 
is to read and study His Word. And that's the wonderful thing about the Bible. God has given us the Bible, and in the Bible He has told us what brings Him glory and what does not bring Him glory. So as we study the Bible, we learn what actions bring Him glory, what motives bring Him glory, and then we can devote our lives to those things. Finally, number three, we need to remove anything from our lives, that doesn't bring Him glory. Is there anything in your life right now that you cannot honestly do to the glory of God? Friend, that's something that doesn't belong in your life. Charles Spurgeon said this, that if you love anything better than God, you are idolaters. If there's anything you would not give up for God, it is your idol. If there's anything that you seek with greater fervor than you seek the glory of God, that is your idol. So I wanted to preach to you today this message, that we should avoid idolatry ourselves and avoid causing others to stumble. And we do that by taking three actions, by not participating in anything that would, call, that would compromise the worship of God alone, by not participating in anything that would cause someone else to stumble, and then thirdly, by doing all that we do to the glory of God and for the salvation of of others. You know how the book of 1 John ends? The book of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 21, just a few little words. John said, little children, and he wasn't talking to literal little children, but those who were new in the faith, those that he had reached and that he was training and teaching to maturity in Christ. Little children was an affectionate term. It wasn't a demeaning term, but an affectionate term. Children of God that were new and young in the Lord, that were growing. Little children, he said to them, keep yourselves from idols. Flee idolatry. That is what we've been told to do. And the hymn writer once said, The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol may be, help me tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. We have a powerful God. We have a gracious God. We have a beautiful and glorious God, and He has made His power available to us. To keep ourselves from idols. And to help us avoid causing others to stumble. Let's seek His power. Let's seek His beauty. Let's seek His glory and His grace. To worship the one who loves us, who made us, and who sent His Son to die for us. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.